Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast and video for those that are watching on YouTube. Uh, I, we are of a topic today that is right in line with what we try to do with the Compassionate Capitalist podcast and sharing this information that helps not only entrepreneurs grow the wealth that they're intending to grow with their entrepreneur endeavor, but also for those investors that are going to invest in entrepreneurs and use that as a asset class to grow wealth. One of the things I often talk about is different tools that you can use as part of a strategy. And, and sometimes we'll talk about self-directed IRAs and things like that. And, but today we're going to talk about something very different than what you probably have heard of before. It's something that I've been hearing about for a while, but I didn't really truly understand how it worked um, until I had the opportunity to have my guest today. I'll introduce him fully here in a second, but I just want to let him wave out there. Hey, Sari, Ibrahim, right? Yeah, yeah. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, Sari has, uh, his organization is the Financial Asset Protection it's part of a network uh, called Bank on Yourself, which is a one of those terms that you're, you know, is it just a motivational term? What does it mean? It uses bank, you know, all these kind of things. And so, you know, what what is that all about? Well, you're stay tuned because you're going to learn all about this in this segment of the Compassionate Capitalist Asset Protection and Investment Strategy. And this is important for entrepreneurs, as well as I mentioned before, but also the investors that want to make sure that unforeseen circumstances that happen to the, that happen to your, yes, so those folks that are um, looking to make an investment and in these unforeseen circumstances when there's um, something that happens to the, the brains behind the company, the brains behind the invention, and we talk, about key man insurance. Sometimes we talk about where companies will take capital in and then they'll use it to bank capital from places like Silicon Valley Bank. We use, we talk about lots of different strategies. We talk about ways to use your capital as an investor to bridge finance someone or bridge finance a company to a larger round. All of these pieces that we talk about on this show and in my book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, we're all going to be tied up in a nice little bow with our conversation here today with Siri. So let me tell you a little bit about him and why he knows so much about this particular topic. So after getting his insurance licenses and working in the traditional insurance agency, Siri saw an opportunity to use a misunderstood financial management and investment tool that could enable private investors and business owners to bank on themselves and founded this, the Financial Asset Protection Program. Fin Asset Protection is a business that helps high net worth individuals, real estate investors, business owners, and retirees grow and protect their wealth predictably and safely. Today, Sari will help us understand how to pursue purposeful investment strategy that minimizes 
risk and maximizes the value of your portfolio to meet your evolving financial needs. Bank on yourself. So welcome officially, Siri. Nice to have you on the show today. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for having me on. So tell our listeners how you went from protecting assets, you know, on your traditional use of insurance to this idea, this concept that's, that's really a sort of a paradigm shift of protecting the wealth as you build your asset and wealth portfolio. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I started off about five years ago um, after getting my insurance license. I started off working at Allstate Insurance where I was doing like a lot of risk mitigation and using insurance policies to mitigate risk. And then after that, I made a kind of a, a pivot. I transitioned into Medicare. So it's kind of like a jump. And I was working with retirees who were like 64, 64, 65 years old. They were transitioning from their employer plans to their own Medicare plan. And that was my job. I would help them make that transition. I would go through their drugs and go through their doctors' networks and find the plan for them. I worked with companies like Blue Cross, Humana, Cigna. And then during that time, I started to build a lot of relationships with these clients. And one of my clients asked me if I knew anything about whole life insurance. And he said, uh, there's one whole life insurance policy that has cash value and eventually the cash will outpace what you put into it. So you can get the insurance and you can get the life insurance and you can get the cash value. And I, and he had kind of heard about it vaguely. I wasn't sure what he was talking about. So I told him I would do more research and I'd get back to him. And I went on Amazon right after and I searched for books <laughs> about life insurance. And I came across this book called uh, The Bank I Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. And the book pretty much talks about using the infinite banking concept or also known as the bank on yourself concept to and that is using whole life insurance mainly for the cash use for the living benefits while you're alive and to use it for more than just life insurance it's to use it to become your your own source of financing to become your own kind of to have your own storage of cash and also be able to access it at the same time and this storage of cash also grows regardless of market conditions and I'll definitely get into more of that, but that's kind of what it is, what the infinite banking concept is, what the bank on yourself concept is. And I discovered this just from reading the book and it led me to more books about it. I ended up joining the bank on yourself organization. They have like an eight week training program that I went through and now I'm a bank on yourself professional. And then I kind of even found another niche after that. I thought about um, like who would probably benefit the most from this, who needs cash, but also needs their cash growing at the same time. And in, in that situation, a lot of real estate investors uh, and business owners came to mind. Uh, people who kind of need, they need to kind of keep, keep their money moving, right? We don't want to just keep it sitting in a bank account or not, or not earning any interest at all because there's inflation and other risks that come into play. But at the same time, they kind of still need that capital moving. Um, I can't just have a locked up somewhere, even if there is a growth in, 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 the, in, in that cash value. So I kind of figured out that this would be a good blend. It would be a good way to have liquidity, but at the same time, have more growth. And that's kind of where, where I'm at right now with this. Very good. All right. So, so okay, so talk about this idea of um, the value of pursuing this purposeful investment strategies that to minimize this risk. And, and I think in maximizing, you know, within our context of, of angel investors portfolio to protect that angel investment. So what I'm talking about is um, this idea that you can, uh, well, well, you have your, um, well, let me, let me just back up. When we mm -hmm. spoke earlier, because I'm getting all tangled up here. So when we spoke earlier, we were designing what we were going to talk about on this show. 
we talked about this very clever way that entrepreneurs sometimes when they get uh, uh, they raise a round and I'd seen it with Silicon Valley Bank and Third Bank and a lot of different banks that focus on entrepreneurs, particularly tech companies, and they get their money and they stick it in escrow and then they do sort of like a line of credit. Mm -hmm. And it's not always available to everybody because not everybody is going to go and raise a bunch of money that they're that, you know, like that from venture capital firms. There's all kinds of businesses out there that might raise a lot less. They might be a traditional type of business. They might be something that's more like in the franchise concept or something like that, where mm -hmm. they need, they get, they get, like I call it, um, the uh, silent partner money. So they get a silent partner mm -hmm. or they get friends and family money or they get, you know, a small group. They raise it through their local chamber and the business associates that they have and they launch this business and they get, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars worth of capital. And they traditionally will go and just start using it. Or in some cases, people are trying to raise money because they just got to get their first order out the door to get purchase order financing. And it's, you got to have X amount of dollars in order to get purchase order financing. And when you were describing how to use this whole life policy, I was like, well, this is perfect. This becomes the asset that somebody can use to bridge finance over to the next round or to keep that money circulating mm -hmm. and have it where they almost have a never ending flow of liquidity to be able to finance the next order, to be able to finance the next opening of another location, to be able to finance all these different things. So talk about how a, a entrepreneur or a group of investors that are getting ready to invest in an entrepreneur endeavor could take advantage of this kind of a program that you have to use that. How does that work? Absolutely. Yeah. So what I would do is I will first describe more about whole life insurance and then answer that second part. So pretty much whole life insurance is it's an insurance policy, just like the title, but it has two main folk, two main functions or two main purposes. One is the life insurance. And the second is the cash value. A lot of people know, you know, the life insurance part of life insurance, but what a lot of people don't know is that there's a cash value component or a cash value part to that whole life policy. And for every dollar that you put towards this policy as you're funding the policy, a portion goes towards the life insurance and another portion goes towards the cash value. Uh, with the bank on yourself concept or the infinite banking concept, it's, oh, it's okay. So where the bank on yourself concept comes in is where we, we try to maximize the cash value part of the whole policy. So we're aiming to fund the policy, to emphasize more on the cash value, to grow up the cash value. And then once you do that, the policy starts to earn dividends and compound interest from the insurance company that it's a part of. So for example, if you own a whole life policy with ABC insurance company and ABC insurance company is a mutually owned insurance company, they're gonna give their dividends and profits back to you, part, por portions of it. And that is gonna get deposited directly into your cash value, which, which explains how and why the cash value increases every year. Now it's key that the whole, it's not all whole life insurance. It has to be issued by a mutual insurance company as opposed okay. to a stock owned insurance company. Uh, because stock owned insurance companies give their dividends and profits back to the shareholders. We need it to be with a mutually owned insurance company. So now we have this whole life policy that's owned by a mutual insurance company that's with the mutually owned insurance company and it has cash value and that cash value is growing. Now we also have the ability to access this cash value. But when we access it, we're accessing it as a loan from the insurance company and not subtracting it from the overall principal or the overall account balance. So for example, if you have $100,000 in a whole life policy, that's your available cash use. 
and then you borrow $50,000 from it, you're going to take $50,000 from the insurance company's general funds, leveraging your cash value. You're not deducting you know, $50,000 from $100,000. You're borrowing against it. And then when you do that and you use your $50,000, um, you're going to have interest. You, you pay interest on that $50,000, but it's, still, it's 5% simple interest that you pay to the insurance company. Now, people are always like, why would I do that? Why would I borrow my own money? And the reason why is because while you're, while you're borrowing that money, your initial $100,000 cash value in this example is continuing to earn compound interest and dividends from the insurance company. So it's growing. And eventually what happens is, is that there, there, it creates this arbitrage split where you're earning more on your money than you are spending on it. Uh, the cost of capital becomes cheaper when it's in your policy and you're using your policy's money than using cash or using other financing. So that once we kind of understand how, what we're talking about now, we're talking about using whole life insurance and borrowing from the insurance company. Now we can kind of step into the uh, venture capital world or the private equity world where our, our investors are helping entrepreneurs grow their businesses. And then for example, there's a line of credit, the line of credit or the uh, initial account could be a whole life insurance policy. So every time the business wants to access money, they could do so by accessing the whole life insurance policy. And the, the interesting part about this, as opposed to just using a regular business checking account or regular business or uh, escrow account is that it earns compound interest. It, it earns between four and 5% every year, regardless of market conditions. Wow. Also the whole life policy is owned by the business. So therefore, it could also be owned by the investors. That, that would be kind of their collateral within the business. It sits on the balance sheet as an asset. And this asset grows every year, regardless of how even the business does, it's still going to grow every year because it has funds that are invested in the insurance company. So what, what, what entrepreneurs could do now is they could use those funds to grow their business. They could borrow from it and then have their own internal line of credit. And again, we're not subtracting from the cash value. We're borrowing against it. So then it kind of creates this way, like you said, circulating money. You have the ability now to borrow and pay back, borrow and pay back while your account is growing and while it's increasing the value of the business. So I'll kind of just pull over from there and, and you know, what questions do you have? So a couple things. So um, on that last one, then we're going to circle back. So for folks out there that, you know, one of the things that we talk about for mitigating risk on a deal, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, but I didn't want to confuse the terms when we talk about this whole life policy is key man insurance because one of the things that people we always recommend entrepreneur investors do or make sure that a portion of the money that they're going into in their seed round is going to be used for key man insurance so that the founders of that business that are critical to the success of the business or the inventor of something that you've got something that helps bridge it if something were to happen to those those key people in the organization and then you know you got you you basically provide another source of cash or it, or liquidity to get through till you find somebody to replace them or you figure out how what do you do with the company when you lose the key people in the company and so but a key manager is just an insurance policy so it's just a name right mm -hmm. so you could use this so a couple of ways this is one that you would use, you would take the money that's being invested and put this in there. And that leads into my second question. So when, just to make sure, so if somebody, if it's a, say it's $100,000, when they, they will, it's there, because sometimes the way people think of insurance is that I'm buying a $100,000 policy, but I'm paying X hundreds of dollars every month towards that policy and that's how they kind of think of life insurance whereas this you're taking a hundred thousand dollars and it's like like to get a hundred thousand dollars of a policy and then it's accumulating or if you take a hundred thousand and stick it into 
this policy, its death benefit is greater than that. Explain that connection of, of the amount in and then what that equates to a cash value which versus the death benefit value. Yeah, yeah, awesome question. So yeah, so pretty much there's different ways to fund a whole life policy. You could either fund it monthly, you could fund it annually, or you could even do a single premium whole life policy, which is the one-time payment towards the whole life policy and no further contributions. So for example, let's say that um, the business already had like, for example, $100,000 in cash, like that was available to start the business. What you could do is you could take that $100,000, buy a single premium whole life policy. And as soon as you did that, one person or more than one person, probably one person in the company would be the insured. And then the company would be the owner of the policy and the beneficiary of the policy. And if you did that, if you took $100,000 and depending on the age and the state, but if you took $100,000, for example, and you put it to the policy, you would have cash value available for use of about 80,000. And then you'd have a death benefit or the life insurance bar of maybe probably 400 to $500,000. And then from there, you could borrow from the 80,000 and then use that to kind of circulate your money in and out and you're paying it back. The policy is still growing every year. The cash, it's still earning dividends and interest from the insurance company, even though there are no further contributions necessary. Yeah, okay. So now over the years, some people that have been involved in this space for a bit might remember when they used to talk about, um, I remember after the dot-com stuff and we were, and even after the recession, there was this rise of, 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 it was like an insurance, I don't want to say it was a gambit, but it was an insurance play that you investors could protect their investment and, you know, whatever they put in would be able to, and they, they wrapped all these fancy words around what this thing was that they had created. And I come to, I, I kind of think it was this, I, I just, mm-hmm. it seems like this is just really straightforward and it's just, a, it's the difference of, of what you explained of a mutual insured versus a stock, you know, uh, it's mutual insured versus stock invested. Uh, A mutually owned insurance company versus stock owned insurance company. Yeah. I think that really comes down because, you know, like you say, not all whole whole life benefits are created equal. Right. And that's, it's really kind of part of the reason why. So the thing I want investors to think about as well is that, the way we have talked about 401ks in the past, mm-hmm. you've got, uh, got a big old 401k with your uh, employer and you turn it into a self-directed IRA that you can go and invest in real estate or little known, but you can invest in private equity and in companies as well, mm-hmm. right? And you're taking out of your retirement value and putting it into something. And then with the idea that when you get a return on that, or if you get it done as an annuity, because you're doing a royalty financing or something like Mm -hmm. that, it's going back in tax deferred on that. Okay. So that's this concept that's catching on. A lot lot of people, more people are talking about it. I was one of the early people to write about it in the book. I've done many, many interviews on it now. Um, So I want to compare this to that because Mm -hmm. the real, a, a lot of times, you know, you may already have that, but say you had an exit from something or you had some kind of golden parachute that you got, Mm -hmm. or you had something where you come into some money. And so, and you may have been doing real estate, but haven't really been doing angel investments. So maybe you invested out of 401k into real estate and, or whatever it is, you come into it. This is a great program to get in that not only again, because you have your, your death benefit, Mm -hmm. but because 
you um, as the investors now can do this from the, the bridge finance piece. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to where the, where there's a chapter in my book where I talk about um, investor as a bank. Mm -hmm. And that's where you are, this idea of bridge financing. They have raised a small round. They're in the midst of closing a big round, or maybe they're getting ready to go do a crowdfunding or some kind of campaign and need cash on hand to be able to manage the marketing and the advertising for that. And they're going to be raising some other money. Uh, they're going to be uh, sort of financing for a first project is really difficult to do. Uh, you can, you factor it, but you can get into a deep hole there where you're, if you're not managing it properly, where you're, it's hard to get ahead of it when it comes to being able to, because if you're going to the same lender, cause you got finance on your purchase or you got finance on your receivables and then you got to pay it all and they, right. Yeah. Whereas something like this investors, if you want to be the bank, yep. you could take your own insurance policy and then do as what Sari has described and use that as your own revolving line of credit for these, these small businesses or these growing businesses that get into a certain stitch. There's a, a company that needs to um, buy some equipment. And for whatever reason, because at the time they've been in business, you know the owner, you can take a policy like this and finance their equipment for you. They pay you back they're paying the any interest or anything that's on the account they're paying you back in a period of time and you're whole again right and you've mm -hmm. made some extra money on that by doing that so there's all kinds of ways so talk about it from a individual's perspective on um because we talked about the company side of it on how you've seen people repurpose and reuse this and accumulate wealth project after project after project because do they take it and just do they take, can, are they able to take what they make out of this loan and put it back in and grow that? Or do they do another policy? Talk a little bit about your real life experiences of how you've seen some investors use this program to grow their wealth and protect it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, I recently worked on a case for a real estate investor. And I, and I mentioned to you, that, mentioned this to you last time we spoke, where he is a real estate investor and he sold one of his properties for $400,000 in cash. And then he kind of uh, needed some different options. He thought about CDs or like money market accounts. But the problem though, was that interest rates on those accounts were are, are getting lower. So he wanted a way to kind of keep keep his money growing. And, and also at the same time, he wanted liquidity too. He didn't want to just tie it up somewhere. So he bought a whole life insurance, a single premium whole life policy through one of our preferred companies, our mutually owned insurance companies. And he put in 400,000. And as soon as he did that, he had instant cash value of 375,000 and then a death benefit of 580,000. And the unique thing about this is that now he has access to up to $375,000 and he can keep using this money and revolving it on his own terms. And that right there, Karen, is a really important term um, on your own terms um, is a really important thing to note too with this is because you can miss payments, you can pay back as, as you want, uh, you can control the frequency of this. So you're not tied by the bank or another lender's um, rules when it comes to your line of credit. So that's kind of a huge distinction and also, because you're earning compound interest on your money. And then when you go to use it, again, as mentioned earlier, there's going to be a split between using the money and earning interest on that money. The earning interest part is going to keep increasing. And then what you mentioned something interesting earlier is that you could use your policy to loan out to other people. And this is exactly what like banks and large corporations do is they have these whole life policies 
worth billions of dollars. And then they borrow from those policies, especially banks, they borrow from these policies. They loan that, loan that money out via credit cards, lines of credits, um, mortgages. Really? Yeah. And then they earn interest. So then there's addition that, so what happens that is it creates two sources of profit or two sources of income. One from the, from the whole life policy growth. And the second from the public and, and the customers that they have, the interest that they're earning. So their money is doing two things for them at the same time. And if those investments collapse, credit cards and lines of credit, if those collapse, they still have their whole life policy to fall back on. They have that backbone to fall back on. And because there's no interruption in that growth, you know, think about a billion dollars and earning 5% on it. That's $50 million a year, right? Just in compound interest that they grow. And then to take it a step further, the policies grow tax deferred. So if you did have this policy with a billion dollars in it and it was earning you $50 million a year in dividends and compound interest, you don't have to report that as taxable income because it's, that's, how the structure, that's, how, that's how policies are structured under current tax law. The growth of it grows tax deferred. So now you're increasing the value of your business because your asset is increasing in value. So your, your business is going to increase in value and you have this, this on your balance, you're just increasing in value regardless of market conditions on a tax deferred basis. Wow. <laughs> I just like, I just had two aha moments in what you just described there because it totally makes sense. I, when every time one of these things happens, I'm like, I, I can't believe I didn't know that, you know? <laughs> and so I, I probably I should do a show sometime it's like on, on all the highlights of, I can't believe I didn't know that. Uh, so like these businesses, banks, whatever, it just makes sense where money makes money. You always talk about how, why it is that, that the wealth get the, it's the wealthier get wealthier yeah. because they understand these, these, uh, I guess it's not, they're not really secrets because they're out mm -hmm. there. If you increase your financial IQ and listen to shows like this, uh, but you get to, um, they get their, they get their money that is being paid through the, the income and earnings of these insurance companies that they're sharing in the wealth of those insurance companies and then putting that to work in something that's going to make them money, you know, and just it's cascading. It's just like a yeah. cascading uh, flow of, of wealth. <laughs> and uh, so businesses and businesses totally, I mean, we're talking small when I said up you know, a couple hundred thousand, but yeah, Whole businesses. They, if I, now, where would you see that on a balance sheet? If you wanted to go look on your, you said it sits on your balance sheet. Where would you see that on a balance sheet? If you wanted to go look and just for curiosity, say, go look at some of these public companies and their balance sheets, and they can see if they've got something like that they're using to, to yeah. create. Yeah, yeah. It would be probably in the cash reserve section in the, in the, under the cash cash. So the cash value really? of the policy would is would reflect your actual cash. And this is the sense too, that if you were to go finance a property, for example, or finance a business and the bank needed uh, proof of where, like, for example, you got the underwriters, if you were, if you were bridging this with another loan, so you're going to use your whole life policy with a bank's loan and the bank needed you to put down, for example, 20%, and then you put down 20%, let's say that was a hundred thousand dollars. They, they would accept the fact that if it came from a whole life insurance policy from your cash value, even though you borrowed that from an insurance company in the eyes of the bank, that's your money. And they would look at that as if you took, you know, a hundred thousand dollars out of a checking account or savings account as liquid, even though you borrowed that money. So that's kind of where I would say it would just be kind of like your cash reserves. All right. So, um, because one of the things that I think that, you know, um, annuities are sold a lot within the same sort of concept 
you know, because you do accumulate and get a cash, a cash value on that, that you can borrow against, or you can, you know, take out of, but there's penalties associated when you take that out. And there is a max and a, yeah, there's a floor that it won't, because it's tied to the um, indexes Mm -hmm. and, you know, people, they get average, uh, insurance agents will talk about the annuities as if they are the same sort of product as what you just have been describing in the whole life. Because you mm-hmm. put this money in, uh, you can get some that have a death penalty or they have a disability mm-hmm. benefit to them, and they accumulate in value, and you can do these other things with that money. But you don't, in this case, the the growth of or the value of the policy the pre policy does it remains the same or does it grow over time too is it just the cash value that grows over time both so the cash value and the life insurance both grow every year regardless of market conditions and then in some situations as mentioned earlier when you do like a single premium policy just a one-time payment um, the policies will still grow. The cash value and the life insurance would still grow after that, even though you're not putting in any more money. So both of those grow. And the overall, so that's pretty much the, the policy is made up of two values, the cash value and the life insurance, the death benefit. And then both of those, both of those grow every year. So, I mean, it almost sounds too good to be true. What's the downside? Where, where, yeah. How do you lose money? How can you abuse this and and lose money on it or get into trouble because you have overextended or whatever we're we're because you see you can pay it back whenever you can do that mm-hmm. where's the downside there's got to be something this is just seems so perfect yeah yeah so the, so the first downside there's, there's there's two one of them the first one is that there's a capitalization period a period of time where you need actual cash actual money to fund the policy so you can't for example put ten thousand dollars in and then turn around and borrow fifty thousand you can only borrow up to ninety percent of your current current cash value so that's kind of the downside if you're looking for that you know faster liquidity and more liquidity than you actually have in cash cash or assets then this won't really help you then traditional financing is probably what you need but you can still connect this with traditional financing um, and, and fund it differently. Like you could do, you could fund it monthly, annually, uh, single premium. You could do lower amounts, higher amounts. You could even have like uh, variable payments where like every um, quarter, every month, you're putting in a certain percentage of your sales back into the policy. So you could also do that. So it fluctuates. And that's really important for a lot of business owners and like commission only people where their, their, their salaries or their, their pay actually fluctuates. So you could do it in that sense. And the other downside is that when you do borrow, eventually you have to pay it back and they call it quote unquote within reasonable time. So it's kind of subjective. But for example, if you were using um, the policy to finance a car, for example, the average time or reasonable time for financing your car would be five years or 60, 60 months. Um, and then if you were financing something that you would use with a credit card, it'd be like one year. Um, if you were financing a house, it'd be 30 years. So you kind of pretty much want to make it reasonable to traditional financing. Like how much would you pay in traditional financing when financing your whatever it is that you want to buy? Um, and, and then if you don't pay it back, with if you let the balance grow and the, ba- the loan balance exceeds the cash value, then the policy could lapse. And all that hard work can you know, go down the drain. So you want to make sure that when you do borrow, you pay it back within reasonable time. And we have a calculator we give all our clients. We show them like how much they would end up paying in interest and how many payments they would actually take to pay down their loan. And then we, then we compare that with the growth of their policy to see if they were, we're going to actually have an arbitrage and if it's actually going to be beneficial to use their policy as opposed to using cash or third-party financing. 
Okay, so one of the things that became somewhat popular, and I just want to make sure, compare it right now for any investors that are listening, was when you, and certain financial wealth management organizations would do this. I think UBS was one that was big on it at one point in time, where you take your stock portfolio and mm-hmm. it becomes a asset that you can get a line of credit against. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, we, were, we went through a period when I was running my angel investor group where we had a sponsor that that was their big thing. And you know, the idea was that you, it, when investors are, um, don't, aren't, don't, aren't liquid because they've got you know, stocks, mostly when it's stocks and bonds and that kind of thing. And they don't necessarily want to want to liquidate any of that. It's not a good timing to do that. They don't want to just take that money and move it here. So they would be able to use it as a, um, an asset to provide a line of credit to the company for instead of putting cash in the company, the company would get a line of credit. And eventually there would be, if a market took a downturn, like it's done recently, they would have a call on that money. Mm-hmm. So based on some of what you've seen in your research, compare, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, but just so people understand the difference between this, because you use, you know, houses or that might have a 30 year or this stuff. So is the other one is potential having to pay that back could be triggered by an event that's beyond your control if you're using an a, a stock portfolio to finance a line of credit versus using a whole life policy to finance a line of credit. You, you as the borrower are in control all the time as to when you pay it back and you sort of establish that based on, do you say what it is that you have to, what you're planning on paying? I mean, what you're planning on buying with it so that the insurance company works with you to dictate what the payback plan is? Or is it really just completely flexible to up to what the investor wants to do? Yeah, it's very flexible. Uh, You'll never be in a situation where the loan will be called or you have to pay it back at a certain time. You control the payback period. You control the frequency. You could you know, write a check to the insurance company. You could do monthly payments back to them as long as you're reducing that balance. Um, And then you could turn around, of course, and borrow that money again. So to answer your question is it's on your own terms. Um, and, and, and because I guess, because the cash value, the, the underlying asset is always growing, um, you'll never be in a situation where it's kind of like, well, sorry, I'm all over the place, but the, the reason why the banks call the loan, right. Is because the stocks are going down and then your loan, you have the interest. So they don't want to foreclose on stocks that are less than the loan amount. So they stop the load and they demand the payment back. That won't happen with life insurance because the underlying asset, the cash value, is always increasing more than the outstanding loan. So that's the yeah. reason why the insurance company will never demand their money back because of market conditions. Well, this has been really a very, very uh, informative and interesting. And I know what uh, I'm going to do with the next stash of cash I get. So, <laughs> um, But hey, I want to make sure, I don't think I said this earlier, folks want to go out there and um, get in touch with Sari Ibrahim. Understand this program more. Please go to fine. It's it's finassetprotection.com. So F-I-N-A-S-S-E-T protection.com is his website. There's a lot of information there. There's some videos. There's other podcasts and a way to get in touch with you. And do you have a uh, any kind of a document or anything you offer for people to, or a consultation if they want to come there and learn more? 
Yeah, yeah. So there's a link. You can schedule a free consultation. We could jump on Zoom or we could do it over the phone. Most of my clients, about 90% are in different states. It's all virtual. So you can jump on Zoom or give me a call. Uh, we, you can set up an appointment actually for a specific time. And then all my consultations are free. And um, if, you, um, if you go to the link, if you book an appointment and you say you came from Karen's podcast, I'll send you a free copy of the Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. Um, I'll send it to you via Kindle. It's like $15 on Amazon, but I'll send it to you for free via Kindle if you say you came from uh, Karen's podcast. There we go. All right. <laughs> anything else you'd like to add? That was pretty good. But anything you want to add as we wrap up here? No, just remember to uh, always think like a bank, not just a consumer or borrower, but think like an actual bank or a large corporation and what to do with your money. Yes. Absolutely. So thank you everybody for tuning in. Please uh, rate the show, share it. Uh, I always, uh, and if you're listening on the podcast, you'll um, get a chance to hear about some other uh, things that we do as a company here in just a few minutes, but I want to tell everybody uh, onwards and upwards. And thank you very much, Sari, for being on the show today. It was uh, quite informative. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist Podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools, which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a entrepreneur's resource portal providing access to dozens of lenders offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougarand Capital Holdings. It's a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network and our sponsors, and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.